Hey, good morning, Faith Family. I want to say hello to those that are gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you've got a Bible, to go to Luke chapter 11, the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Uh, continuing uh, this morning in our series uh, called All Sides of the Savior, the last several weeks we've been looking at the humanity of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and all these different uh, contexts so that we might know him in a more personal way. Uh, we've looked at the fact that Jesus is completely human, he got righteously angry. He's extravagantly generous. He's unquestionably alive. Last week that he was authentically tempted. All of these things that have to do with the the humanity of who Jesus is. And this morning, what I want us to look at is the fact that Jesus is fearlessly honest. And I love the passage that we're about to look at this morning. So let's get busy. Let's dive in. If you got your Bibles, let's go. I'm going to invite you, if you're able to please stand for the honor of reading God's word. Luke 11. And we're going to begin here at verse 37. Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness, you fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without even knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, well, woe to you, lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Verse 53. And he went away from there, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to Press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of God. Pray for me. Pray with me. Let's ask God to teach us this morning more about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for the time to be in your word. Uh, What a joy this has been the last several weeks to take a very intentional look at our Savior, to see him from all different sides as revealed in your word. Uh, Help us this morning to experience your truth, your truth that you speak into our lives. And I pray that you would do that for the glory of Jesus, and we pray it in his name. And God's people said, Amen. 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 Please be seated. Many years ago, there was a king, and this king was obsessed with one thing, his appearance. All he thought about all day long was his clothes. In fact, he spent his money not on the military, uh, not on entertainment, not on the good of the people. He spent his money on more 
clothes. In fact, it was said of this king that he would sometimes put on a different outfit every hour of the day. One day, these two con men or swindlers came to town and they offered the king a once in a lifetime opportunity. They would make for him the world's greatest outfit. Oh, it would be beautiful. It'll, it'll have uh, the, the finest silk from around the world. It'll be laced with gold stitching. It'll be beautiful colors. You can have this if you're willing to pay for it. But guess what, king? This is not only going to be beautiful, it's going to be magical because the only people that will actually be able to see these clothes are those of whom are worthy to be in the king's court. The king heard this, I've got to have it. And so he ordered immediately for the outfit to be made and to spare no expense. A few days pass and the king sends one of his servants to go check on the progress. Uh, The servant goes to the shop and he walks in and he noticed that everybody's working really hard, but he doesn't see anything. And then he remembers, oh, that's right. If you can't see it, it means that you're not worthy to be in the king's court. And so he said nothing. He just praised them as to what a good job they were doing. And he ran back to the king and he said, oh, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's perfect for you. And the king sent another servant a few days later. Same thing happens. He goes in the shop. Everybody's working hard, but he doesn't see anything. It's because nothing's there. And, and he realizes that, you know, if you can't see it, it means you're not worthy to be in the king's court. And so he says nothing. He just brags about what a good job they're doing and goes back and he gives the king the same report. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. It's fantastic for you. And then the day comes and the king finally gets his new clothes. He's so excited. He opens it up and he sees nothing. And he realizes what this means, but he doesn't want the people in his court to think that he's not fit to be king. And so he says nothing. And then the king strips down to nothing but a smile. And he puts on his new clothes and everybody in his court begins to praise him. You look so good, king. That's beautiful. And they just praise after praise. And he's so filled with flattery. The king says, oh, everybody in my kingdom has got to see me in my new clothes. And so he walks out into the streets. And all the people of the kingdom praise him and and they, they give him all these compliments. You look fantastic, puke. And then there's a little boy who doesn't know any better who stands up and says... What everybody else knows but refuses to say. And he declares, the emperor has no clothes. And yet the crowd, for fear of what the king might do, and the king, for fear of what the crowd might think, say nothing. And the truth was never spoken. Most of you have heard that story, right? 
Hans Christian Andersen's famous story, The Emperor's New Clothes. A story written for children and yet a parable for adults. Because every single one of us has been in those situations where we should have said something, yet we pretended like nothing was wrong. You've been there, that friend that had lettuce in their teeth or snot in their nose, and you said nothing. You didn't want anything to be socially awkward. Uh, You had that employee that's a num-num and not performing, and you softened the review because you don't like conflict. That child that's out of control, but you would rather be their friend than be their parent. Someone criticizes or questions Christianity, and you remain silent because, after all, you don't want to be called names. Or your spouse asks, does this make me look fat? And you say, nothing. (laughs) If you're smart. (laughs) Come on, we all of us know, be honest. Sometimes it's really hard to be honest. Sometimes it's hard to be honest. Most of the time it's easier to praise the emperor's clothes than address the real problem. So I have to ask you this. This is what we're talking about today. Are you the kind of person that speaks the truth when the truth needs to be spoken? Are you the kind of person that speaks the truth when the truth needs to be... I'm not talking about being a jerk for Jesus, okay? I have addressed many times in other sermons that how you address something is just as important as that you address something. And let's be honest, some of you, Lakeville Sanctuary, some, some of you need to apply the proverb that says a wise man holds his tongue, amen? Because you're a jerk. Don't point, Okay. I'm not, I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about, are we the kind of people that in love speak the truth when the truth needs to be spoken? Because that is exactly what we see in our Savior in Luke chapter 11. Watch what happens here, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so Jesus went in and reclined at table. Now, Jesus here, based on the original language, it appears to be, is invited for lunch at the home of a Pharisee. There's two important things that you need to keep in mind so that you understand the significance here. First of all, we've talked about this before, the significance of a meal in the ancient Near East. To dine with someone was not just casual. It was very important. It was relational. Uh, it, it was a sign of intimacy. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, has meals with all different kinds of people, all different kinds of sinners. Uh, he has a meal at the home of tax collectors and sinners where they play darts, eat chicken wings, drink Paps Blue Ribbon, listen to Leonard Skinner, talk sports, and deal with the real issues and difficulties of life. At the same time, Jesus eats with religious people where they all speak in King James and say, hello, brother. And they all eat sass. Do you know what sass is? It's senior adult salad. Because every church potluck has 17 bowls of that nastiness. And everybody's wearing sweater vests. 
And they're listening to old Chris Tomlin CDs and they're debating the cultural relevance of head coverings and they're acting like everything's fantastic. My point is Jesus eats with all kinds of sinners. The religious kind and the irreligious kind, and that's good news because it means the grace of God extends to all. So keep in mind the significance of sharing a meal. Secondly, keep in mind the significance of the Pharisees. We tend to think Pharisee bad, but that would not be the context uh, in the ancient Near East. They are the ruling religious political class in Israel. They are loved by the people. The Sadducees, not so much, but the Pharisees were loved. They were very popular, very respected. They were morally upright people. And here's the issue with the Pharisees. What the Pharisees did is they made up rules. Some of you know this. They made up traditions. Um, and they said that those traditions or rules were equal with Scripture. But that's not all. They took it a step further. And they used those traditions and those made-up rules to separate themselves from everybody else. In fact, the very name Pharisee means separate one. So they'd make up a rule, say that it was equal to Scripture, and they would use it to show everybody how they were better than everybody else. Okay? Let me show you an example of one of those. Verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. What is that? Uh, the, the, one of the traditions that they had uh, made up was that you had to wash your hands when you came home. Now, most of you are like, well, what's a big deal about that? Um, we have hand sanitizers everywhere. Some of you ladies have like five gallons of hand soap in your purse right now. I mean, that's very much a part of our culture. We would say that's a good thing. But listen to me. This wasn't for personal hygiene. It was for religious purity. Listen, they washed their hands in case while they were out, they had touched a Gentile. Because you never know when you might bump into one of them. You never know when you might have used a cup that they had used before. You never know when you might have touched a doorknob that they had already touched. And so they would purify themselves. It wasn't personal hygiene. It was smug self-righteousness. So what does Jesus do? Bracelet? What would Jesus do? Here's what Jesus would do. He would walk right past the water basin, go straight to the table, and stick his dirty fingers that have touched Gentiles all day right in the potato salad. I mean, everybody's like, wow, are you kidding me? I can't believe that Jesus did this. Please, somebody teach Jesus table manners. What did he just do? You've been taught all your life, cleanliness is next to godliness. So you invite somebody over to your home, they refuse to take off their shoes, they walk in with dirty feet, they eat before everybody else has been served, they use their hands instead of silverware, and they double dip the guacamole. It's awful. I've invited you into my home and you disrespect me in this way. Oh, and if you think what Jesus does is bad, you should listen to what he says. Verse 39, I love this. The Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, cleanse, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. 
How's that for hello? You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give alms those that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. That is what matters is the heart. What matters is the inside. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues. You love the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. I mean, come strong or don't come at all. Can you imagine how awkward this was? Let me summarize what Jesus just said. You are greedy, wicked hypocrites that only care about social status and physical appearance when the reality is you're dead, even though, like an unmarked grave, nobody else can see it. Wow. In other words, Jesus just said this. Are you listening, Lakeville Sanctuary? Jesus said, the emperor has no clothes. I will say what no one else is willing to say. I will speak the truth. You're all pretending. It's a game. You're a joke. You're full of greed, and you know it. And then someone responds. Verse 45. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Translation, Jesus, you hurt my feelings. Now I got to go to counseling. I got to hire a life coach. I got to take a self-esteem class. I got to go on Dr. Phil. And now I got to listen to Joel Osteen sermons. Don't clap. Please don't clap at that. We're not going to put this online anyway. It doesn't matter. It's just a joke, people. It's true, but it's still a joke, okay? Now, Jesus, we understand not everybody's perfect, right? So say you're sorry, post your apology on Twitter, and go read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You're rude, Jesus. Now apologize. All right. Verse 46. (laughs) Are we having fun, faith family? Come on. And Jesus said, woe to you lawyers also. Oh, you get your turn. Here we go. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Wow. Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. He is going to make sure everybody in this room is offended before the conversation is over. Now, what has gotten into Jesus? Some of you are so uncomfortable, and I love it. Because one of the things that I wanted to do in this series of all sides of the Savior is expose some sides that you don't typically want to talk about. You want Jesus like, you know, receiving children and, and being sweet and mild. We don't often know how to deal with this Jesus. 
who says the emperor has no clothes. What's gotten into this guy? Is he having a bad day? Did he lose a bet with Peter? Did the Vikings miss another field goal? Too soon? Too soon? Okay. Let's at least establish this. Jesus is being honest. Jesus is being honest. In his humanity as a prophet, he is discerning, as he often does, discerning the heart and intentions of the Pharisees. Now, this is an important kind of implication here. Everybody listen. There's a big difference between being offensive and saying something that offends. Let me say that again. I want you to think about that. There's a difference between being offensive, that is, in in the way you are or act or say, and saying something that offends. Let me give you an example. Listen, a racial slur reveals the ugly in you. Exposing a friend's drinking problem exposes the offense or the ugly in them. Do you see? So think of it this way. Jesus' words here are not offensive. It's what's inside the Pharisee that's offensive. And Jesus is just bringing it out. He is speaking the truth and addressing the reality of their heart. Yet we might still ask, but why so aggressive? I mean, Jesus needs to be a little more Minnesota nice. Because he's not that way with others. I mean, he doesn't call the Samaritan woman a, you know what, for having five husbands. So why is Jesus so fearlessly honest? Why why is he so aggressive sometimes in his honesty? I'm going to give you three reasons why. Three reasons why Jesus is fearlessly honest. And the first will address why he is this way with Pharisees. So here's reason number one. Because of the level of the Pharisees' depravity. Because of the level of the Pharisees' depravity. In other words, Jesus is speaking this way because it has something to do with the Pharisees. I'll say it this way. The harder the heart, the harder the language. The harder the heart, the harder the language. Notice this on the screen. Jesus is not this way with people who are broken. Jesus is this way with people who are hardened. That's very important. Jesus is not this way with people who are broken. He's this way with people who are hardened. Now, that does not mean he's any less honest with others. It's just his approach towards his honesty with them is different. He does expose the Samaritan woman's past, but he doesn't do it as aggressively as he does with the Pharisee because the heart is different. Think of it this way. Some of you are visual learners. You know, like if you take a, like a cantaloupe, okay, and, and this obviously it's got a shell on it, but, but it's for the most part pretty soft. So you can take something that's not extremely heavy. Be careful, front row. Have you ever seen Gallagher? Okay. Um, but just kind of a soft word, and you begin to make impressions and dents. You don't have to hit it very hard. And I can already, you just can see how soft that is. I could push all the way through it. It doesn't take that much. Now, you take a, a situation, though, like this, where some of your hearts are not soft. Some of your hearts are hard like a brick. And you take a soft word... Nothing, not a dent, not a scratch, nothing at all. This 
is not going to break through this. This will break through a soft heart. But when it comes to a hard heart, you got to pull out the big boy, right? It takes more hard words to break a hard heart. Now, are you going to be honest with me this morning? You better, right? (laughs) No, but I'm serious. Look at it on the screen. Be real with me. Sometimes our heart is so hard, we need hard words to break our hearts. Some of you are here, and this is not you. You've become so calloused and so hardened for lots of different reasons. And that's the reason why Jesus speaks hard words to you. Because he wants to break your heart. He wants to break through and deal with the real issues in your life. But he knows that's going to mean some hard, hard things. Why does Jesus speak this way to the Pharisees? It's because of the level of their depravity. But more generally, there's a reason why Jesus is fearlessly honest, and that's because of the nature of his ministry. The nature of his ministry. Here's the the point. Since Jesus came to get to the heart of the person, are you with me? He always gets to the heart of the issue. Because Jesus came to get to the heart of the person, he always gets to the heart of the issue. It's why he does not play religious games. He does not engage in superficial talk. He doesn't dodge hard topics. He came to get to the heart of the issue. And that's the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees in Luke 11. Notice it on the screen. Jesus is about cleansing the heart. The Pharisees are about cleaning the hands. They're about the external. They're about, let's put on some new clothes. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming after your heart. And that means we're going to have to deal with the real issue, not the superficial one. Let me give you some examples. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. I've kept all the commandments. I can quote them for you. You should see my new clothes. I look good. And Jesus says, Luke 18, 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. What did Jesus do? Stripped him bare. Let's get to the real issue. Or what about Martha? Remember Martha comes to Jesus and you need to get on Mary. I'm in here working hard, slaving in the kitchen. She's sitting there having Bible study with Jesus. Sitting at your feet, tell her to get up and help me. Luke 10, 41. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What does he do? He strips her bare and he deals with her heart and the real issue in her life. 
the crowd in John 6, they've just eaten their fill and they're following Jesus. And Jesus says, verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. He gets to the issue. The disciples, oh, ministry is going to be fantastic. It's going to be fun. We're going to conquer the world. Jesus says, Matthew 10, 16, behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Beware of men. By the way, I quote this verse out of context to my daughters all the time. Sweethearts, beware of men. Anyways, For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. That's not exactly a brave heart speech. He gets to the heart of the issue of what it means to follow him. Or what about the fig tree in Mark 11? It has nothing on it and Jesus is hungry. In verse 13, it says, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And Jesus said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And that has nothing to do with my sermon. I just think it's hilarious. Can you picture Jesus looking at a tree? I'm hungry. You've got no figs. No one will ever eat from you again. It's totally free. Back to the point. To Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. To the Pharisees in John 8, he says, you're of your father, the devil. To Nicodemus, he says, you're a teacher and you don't know these things. To the one who wants security, he says, the son of man has no place to lay his head. And to every single one of us who thinks we will get there on our own, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one gets to the father except through me. Point, Jesus spent the bulk of his ministry telling people they have no clothes. The very nature of his ministry is to get to the heart of the issue because he's after the heart of the person. Amen? Amen. That's why he speaks so honestly. There's a third reason why Jesus is so fearlessly honest. And it's this, the restoration of real humanity. This is a whole sermon right here. The restoration of real humanity. Every week in this series, I've been trying to show you how Jesus, he's the ultimate human. He's the ultimate Adam. And so what he's doing in his ministry is he's taking us back and showing us what real humanity looks like. And some of you may not like this, but it's true that our experience is subhuman. It's not fully human. Jesus is taking us back to how God has created humanity to be. The examples like he cleanses the temple, why we were created to worship God. He raises Lazarus because we were created to live. He feeds the 5,000 because we were created to eat under the provision of God, like in the garden. Uh, Jesus is tempted because we were created to live in victory over sin. Humanity was not created to sin. So how does Jesus' honesty Take us back to true humanity. You ready? Here's the answer. Here's the answer. Humanity was created to live 
in an open, honest relationship with God and other people. Listen, it wasn't until sin came in that we started putting clothes on. When sin came in, we started hiding. It's why, watch, the Pharisees in Luke 11 are doing what mankind has been doing ever since Genesis 3, namely covering up. I got to get new clothes. I got to hide who I really am. I got to cover up the heart. We are just like the wizard in the Wizard of Oz saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I don't want you to see what really is. So Jesus speaks fearlessly honest to expose you. Why? Not just to expose you, but to take you back to God. Because you weren't created to hide from God. You were created to live in a free-flowing, honest fellowship with God. And not just with God, but with one another. In the beginning, the emperor had no clothes, and God said it was good. In the beginning, there was nothing to be ashamed of. In the beginning, you could be who you were. In the beginning, you didn't have to hide. But sin made you run. And we've been hiding in the bushes ever since. So Jesus speaks truth because he wants to take you back to what you were created for. That's why he's so honest. So how do we experience Jesus' honesty? We see the example of it. I've tried to explain the reason for it. But how do we experience it? How do we experience this in the everyday? The, The honesty of Jesus speaking into our life the way he speaks into the life of the Pharisees. Three things quickly and then we'll close. One. We must let the truth of Christ, that is Scripture, speak into our lives. One amen. I'll try it again. Let this truth of Christ, that is Scripture, speak into our lives. There we go. Let me give you just a few Scriptures. You you know these, but but listen to the language. Listen to the language. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, joints and of marrow, and the discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Watch. No creature is hidden. That's Genesis language. From his sight. But all are what? Naked and exposed. That is, you have no clothes. It exposes who you are to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We've got to see this. God, help us see this. The word of God is taking us back. It's restoring us. That is a good thing, not a bad thing. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Notice this on the screen. Faith family, listen, if we don't embrace conviction, we'll become calloused. 
you know what? This may or may not hinder our growth, but this will not be a place where you come and we're soft with each other. It's going to puff you up and tell you you're a snowflake. We will declare we are sinners in need of a gracious Jesus who is ready to meet us where we are and heal our sin. So come out, come out wherever you are. There's a Savior. That's who we are. We will proclaim the word of Christ because it's in the word of Christ that Christ speaks honesty into our lives and begins to take us back to what we were created to be. The gospel will knock you on the floor with truth and then lift you up with grace. And we need both if we're going to be conformed into the image of Christ. Amen? Let the word of Christ, Scripture, speak into your life. Secondly, speak the truth of Christ into other people's life. Speak the truth of Christ into other people's life. And again, I just have to clarify it. I'm not talking about being a jerk. Speaking truth in love. At the same time, I'm not giving you Norwegians room to wiggle out of this by saying, I'm Minnesota nice. You know, that's not really my personality, Pastor. I don't confront Okay? Well, if you're not willing to speak the truth in love, it means that you don't love them and you don't love the truth. I don't care what culture you're from. If you're not willing to speak truth in love, it's because you don't love the person and you don't love the truth. One author says this, we chit-chat We spend our days at a level of conversation that's as substantive as smoke. We dance around one another like birds in a mating ritual, bobbing, ducking, puffing out our chest, flapping our wings and circling one another. Let's be honest. We aren't usually honest. Because people who are honest usually get their heads removed. Imagine telling your mother-in-law she's controlling. A friend, he's self-centered. Well, you might care about them too much when the reality is you care about them too little. Well, I don't want to risk the tension, backlash, penalties, or rejection. I know, you'd rather them remain a hardened Pharisee than speak honestly. In other words, you'll default to the easy, wide path where it's a lot easier to praise the emperor's clothes than to tell him or her their you-know-what is showing. God has given you the body of Christ to speak the word of Christ into one another's lives. And that means wake up call, parents, friends, pastor, Christian in this culture, there will be seasons where you won't be popular. Where you may be the little boy and the only one in the crowd saying the emperor has no clothes. Now, some of you would love for me to close there. Yeah, I'm going on this afternoon, and I'm going to rebuke her in Jesus' name. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. I got my person picked out. I got my bullets lined up. Yes, I can't wait to apply, right? That's where some of you are, and that's why I'm not ending there. 
I'm ending here. Let the truth of Christ be spoken into your life. Let the truth of Christ be spoken into your life. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That is, a true friend will wound, but they will do so faithfully. The Hebrew word is that of giving support, upholding, nourishing. Listen, listen. Some of you pay a therapist to tell you what a good friend ought to tell you for free. I'm not against therapists, okay? Don't, like, email me if you're a counselor. That's, that's great. I'm just telling you, you often pay people to speak truth into your life when the truth is that's what a good friend does. An enemy, on the other hand, praises when they should rebuke. And yet that's often the kind of relationship we want. Just tell me how good my clothes look. Don't actually speak the truth. It's why when you do have a good friend that speaks truth into your life, what you tend to do is not change your life, just change your friend. So get this. Love you. But get this. We will become Pharisees when we desire the honor of people more than the honesty of Jesus. That's Luke 11. When we desire the honor of people more than the honesty of Jesus. Faith family, be honest. We're not often honest. In fact, some of you here today, you're just like that king, just like that emperor. You're trying on a new outfit every hour of the day just to keep up an appearance. And others of you are just like the crowd. You're afraid to tell the emperor that there's actually a problem. Listen to me. To the degree that either one of those things are happening means you're not applying the gospel to your life. After all, do you remember many years ago what happened to a real king? When he was taken out into the streets and put before others... The Bible says in Matthew 27, verse 27, the soldiers took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him of his clothes. Don't you see? Adam and Eve, Pharisee, Berean, Jesus was stripped of his clothes so that we could be naked and unashamed before God as we were created to be. Jesus was stripped of his clothes so that we would stop hiding under man-made religion and moralistic fig leaves. The good news of the gospel is that the real emperor wore no clothes so that you could be clothed in his righteousness. Stop trying to wash the dirt off your hands and let Jesus purify your heart. For my friend, until that happens, you will not see God. Honestly. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you, thank you for this text. Thank you for, in your grace, showing us this side of our Savior. You have created us to be in relationship with you, transparent, unashamed, fully open. It is sin that made us run and hide. It's sin that made us create man-made religions and rules to look better than everybody else. Oh, how we have been trying on outfits every single day just to keep up an appearance. And it's not human. It's not human. So God, would you just come in by your honesty right now? Speak the truth into our hearts. All that we would not care about the honor of people, but we would care about the honesty of Jesus today. So we just ask you by your grace, though it will hurt, and yet that's good to just speak into us right now. Come Holy Spirit and do your work. Do your work in us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.